At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting you ready for college and pro football. This is the Football Betting Guide with Jonathan Von Tobel. Yo, what up, folks? we got two hours on tap here on the Football Betting Guide. Good show for you today. We're going to check in with the Las Vegas Raiders, who opened up training camp. Man, how about that? Hall of Fame game just about, what, like 10 days away or so? A week from Thursday. It's going to be absolutely wild. Adam Hill, Las Vegas Review Journal. Be with us at the bottom of this hour, 3.45 p.m. Pacific time. We'll discuss everything that's gone on in Raiders camp up to this point. Some big positional questions for the Las Vegas Raiders. So we'll get the update on that from Adam Coming up in 45 minutes from now, and then an hour and 45 minutes from now, one of the more intriguing markets, I think, in the NFL in terms of betting on it from a futures perspective before the season begins, Coach of the Year. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, wrote up a great write-up probably four or five days ago. Uh, We're going to talk to Eric about that, his thought process, and what we can look at in terms of eliminating some of these guys. And I will say, uh, and maybe this is bad news for Eric, we are lock and step on one candidate, a team that I am high on, a team that I have mentioned on this program already in the past, but... Wanted to add that it is a very, very big week here at VSIN because this week we release our college football betting guide. Every single one of these Division I programs, yes, they are previewed in our college football betting guide that is out this week. And it is going to be a very good read, very much worth it. You see it right there. All 131 teams, win total recommendations for every single one of them. Also, best bet win totals from every single one of our experts. That includes me, who wrote up the Mountain West. We'll talk a little bit about the Mountain West coming up in about 30 minutes or so. Uh, But... Wanted to give your attention and your eyes a little bit to look at here. That's our cover for the College Football Betting Guide, which is coming out later this week. Very, very much worth your time if you're not a subscriber already. vcin.com slash subscribe. If you are a subscriber, you get access to it when it comes out later this week. Very much worth it. And, of course, following on the heels of that will be our NFL betting guide, which will be out shortly after that. But football season is here. Camps, they are, of course, being uh, underway. They're reporting. Uh, Rookies are at camp. Veterans are starting to follow as well, so very, very much excited, and that's why this show is here. So let's start with a little taste of, you know, we're talking about college football, and as a way to promote the college ba- or the uh, football guide, let's talk a little college football, and let's continue our conference previews. We start with today with a look at the Big 12, who, by the way, Adam Burke wrote that thing, and Adam Burke, one of our baseball analysts who's going to be coming up here a little bit remotely from Cleveland for the run line. So let's talk a little bit about... The Big 12, an interesting conference with Oklahoma at the top at 2-1 to one to win this thing. These numbers courtesy of DraftKings. You see it right there in front of you. To give you a rundown of where we're at from an odds perspective, Oklahoma State um, at plus 550, but the second choice, uh, plus 280, the Texas Longhorns. Baylor comes in as a four choice, plus 650. TCU 12-1, Kansas State 12-1, to one, Iowa State 16-1, to one, and then you move on from there, 30-45-1 to one, and 250-1, to one, uh, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas respectively. So when you look at this conference, <clears throat> I started with the, kind of the, you know, the question. 
should Oklahoma be favored to win this conference considering the changes with the program? Lincoln Riley departs for USC, takes Caleb Williams with him, Spencer Rattler transfers off to South Carolina as well. So you get pretty much brand new everything here, right? Brent Venables, Clemson defense coordinator for a while and other spots too, uh, takes over as head coach of the program. Only 10 starters from last year's team are back, five on each side of the ball. But there are some things to like about Oklahoma. Look, it's a brand, so you're always going to be able to retool relatively well. And in today's day and age, we're talking about the transfer portal and essentially free agency. There seems to be, at least for a lot of these programs, a lot of quarterbacks are going to be available in the transfer pool, and that is the case. Dylan Gabriel comes in, really solid quarterback who did well at UCF. If you look at it just from a touchdown-interception ratio, 70 touchdowns for him, 14 interceptions. He's going to play under his former OC from 2009. That would be Jeff Levy, who, of course, was his OC in that year. That was his freshman year. Coming off of a lost year to injury, Gabriel is, but it's not like one of those catastrophic injuries. It's a – look – it's a bad injury, nonetheless. A clavicle will keep you out for the entire year. It's a pretty serious uh, injury. Uh, but at least you're not working from a lower extremity standpoint, trying to work your way back there. So coming off of a broken collarbone that cost him the year, should be able to bounce back nicely. And he's got some solid weapons around him. Marvin Mims sticks around, returns at receiver. Eric Gray, who ran for 424 under Riley last year. He was the second-leading running back rusher. Uh, Chase Williams was actually the second-leading rusher overall. And they add depth via the transfer portal. They get two highly-touted uh, freshmen who are going to come in. It remains to be seen how much they'll be able to contribute. But if you look at it from a skill standpoint, an offensive standpoint, and what Libby and Dylan Gabriel have to work with, there are some good things here for the Oklahoma Sooners. And you also look at Venables and what he's coming back on defense. They only bring back a few pieces from 2021, but it was a below-average unit if you look at it from a statistical standpoint. So maybe not the worst thing in the world to have to retool from a defensive standpoint for Oklahoma. And you would think that Venables is going to be able to maximize defensive talent when he's out there. He's a great play caller defensively. Obviously, he's done a really great job in his years with Clemson coming off of a year, which, I mean, you could argue an MVP for Clemson considering how good that defense was for them at times and keeping them in it despite a really poor year from their offense. So I would expect that whatever talent is out there for Oklahoma defensively, that is going to get maximized. And so looking at this overall, Sooner status as favorites, kind of probably based more on brand and recognition than anything else. If we're talking about actual probability of winning the conference, you could probably argue it's not as short as a 2-1 to one would tell you, right? But as a book, if you're going to put Oklahoma as you know, 253-1, to one, whatever it is, a little bit of a tighter squeeze there between them and the rest of the teams, you're going to build up some liability, so you kind of expect it. And you look at their schedule as well. There are opportunities for this team to have some success, although in this Big 12, where I think a lot of these teams have moved toward the middle, and a lot of these teams are close to one another, right? Neutral site against Texas, as we know. A road game against the TCU squad, which brings back 18 guys. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Uh, on the road against an Iowa State team that's rebuilding, not too bad. On the road against West Virginia, a winnable contest as well, and we don't know what that's going to be look like from a health standpoint. A quarterback, JT Daniels, some, uh, you don't want to call them rumors, but uh, some interesting quotes coming out of West Virginia about the health of JT Daniels. And then, of course, uh, near the end of the, sad, the schedule at Texas Tech, the wrap of the regular season coming off of a matchup, of course, against Oklahoma State. So I think they probably deserve to be favored, but I do think the gap between ten, them, Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, probably a little bit tighter, right? Texas, for example, really the second best team in this conference because you know I have some questions about that. Sarkeesian gets 14 guys back. They're coming off of a 5-7 and seven year overall. They were 3-6 and six in Big 12 play. And the big thing is, and there's things to like about this team too, 
Quinn, uh, Quinn Ewers is going to be taking over. Redshirt freshman, highly touted, played, of course, or tra- committed to Ohio State, transfers from the Buckeyes. Hudson Card back after taking and starting two games last season as well. They get their top four rushers back. Texas does. That's obviously a big positive. You get your, I think, of what, top two wide receivers as well. Uh, so you really like, excuse me, three guys. So like you're looking at this from a depth standpoint, especially on offense. You get an upgraded quarterback for Texas, and that's a really, really good thing for them, right? But then you kind of, like for me, you wonder about some of these things. Like again, when you talk about a win total of eight, Shaded to the over at minus 135, but a pretty short price to win the conference at plus 280. A couple of these things don't really gel. And then you look defensively, too. Seven guys come back on this defense. Generally, that's a good thing. But is it a good thing for a defense that gave up 31.1 points per game, six yards per play, and 5.1 yards per carry? I don't know. Probably not, right? It is not guaranteed that improvement will happen just because you retain some pieces from the, the previous year. So, again, if you're looking at this as a whole... There are things to like about a team like Texas. But when you're talking about brand and name, there's a reason why those two teams are at the top. And when I look at the Big 12, I find myself looking a little bit further down than looking at Oklahoma, than looking at Texas, because I think there's some real solid redeeming qualities about a couple of these other teams in this conference outside of them and some value to bet on them. So if not Oklahoma or Texas, which teams? Well, let's start with How about the Baylor Bears at plus 650 here? They bring back six guys on both sides of the ball. They do have questions at multiple positions, but plenty to work with this season. On offense, they lose their leading passer, Gary Bohannon, but Blake Shapin is back, and he's the one, of course, who essentially led them to that title game win last year. Uh, He was, what, 23-28, 180 yards, three touchdowns in that game. So while your starting quarterback is gone, you have returning production that you're not going to feel that much of a drop-off. Top three rushers and receivers depart, so that's a pretty big deal here for this offense. But... Essentially, their entire offensive line returns, so that's going to help you maximize your offense as a whole. Strong offensive line play will open up holes for your running back. It'll protect your quarterback who comes back, who provided some uh, production for you last year, so that's really good for you. And defensively, up front, they're going to have a really good strength. Their defensive line comes back intact. That's part of a front seven that gave up just 118 yards per game on the ground, 3.3 yards per carry in 2021. You have some questions on the back end, both linebacker and defensive back, but Dylan Doyle's really good linebacker, and Dave Aranda is a fantastic defensive play caller, just like we're talking about here when we're talking about Venables and maximizing their defense. So again, when you look at a team like Baylor, I think there is something to like there. Now, their schedule, as you can see, does not do them any favors. Road games against Oklahoma and Texas in the second half of that schedule is going to be relatively tough for that team. Uh, In a Big 12, again, it's just going to be littered with coin flip spots. You have to host Oklahoma State. Kansas State is not going to be any gimme either because Kansas State's got 14 guys back. Adrian Martinez is back, or excuse me, he's transferring in quarterback. So there's things like about Kansas State, a team that is coming off of an eight-win season. But again, in a conference that is just littered with coin flip spots and a bunch of teams around you, you could suffer a couple of losses if you're a team like Baylor still make it to this title game. So I think from that perspective, you really like Baylor a little bit further down this list then backing Oklahoma, then backing Texas at some of these short prices. Hell, even Oklahoma State, the 2021 runner-up to Baylor from last year, seven starters back on offense. That includes Spencer Sanders. You know, there's things that maybe you don't really love about Spencer Sanders, right, especially the fact that he's not like a dynamic quarterback by any stretch. I think, what, a 1.67 touchdown-interception ratio last year. So he's not going to be explosive when it comes to his passing attack, but still – Top rusher, top receiver, all depart, but their entire depth is back with Sanders there. Got to rebuild a little bit on the defensive side, but there's, you know, you look at Oklahoma State, things to like about them. I think, though, when you're talking about some of these contenders at the top, for me, my eyes in the Big 12, 
keep going elsewhere, and it's not with Texas and Oklahoma, and it is looking at a team like Baylor, who I think has a lot to offer, especially when you look at some of the returning productions. And don't forget, intriguing teams in the conference, too, maybe more from a win total standpoint. Mentioned Kansas State. Adrian Martinez coming in. They have road trips to OUTC and Baylor on the conference schedule. They have to host Oklahoma State and Texas, so that's a relatively tough schedule. TCU, Sonny Dykes coming in to take over, leaving SMU. 18, team, or excuse me, 18 guys back, 10 of which come on offense. Starting quarterback going to be you know, decided in camp here over the next month or so, but still, uh, that offense that Dykes is going to bring in, quarterback friendly, that's going to be maximized there. And then Iowa State's interesting only because – you only get eight starters back. You get five back on offense. Redshirt freshman Hunter Deckers takes over a quarterback. The Brock Purdy era is over, but Campbell has done a really good job with teams like this that don't really have a lot of expectations. So overall, give me the Baylor Bears to win this conference, but this is one where there's going to be a lot of parity, and I think they're just going to cannibalize one another, and obviously we're going to get our title winner, uh, but I do think at the end of the day, this is going to be a conference that I think a lot of people are going to be surprised about what we get out of it by the time we get to the end of the season. All right. When we come back, let's dive into the NFL. I've got three win totals for you that I really like in the National Football League, and that begins in the AFC East, where after being one of the most pro-Patriots backers last year, and maybe not so much this year, we'll discuss here on the Football Betting Guide. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, folks? Yes, Football Betting Guy. We roll on coming up at 30 minutes. Adam Hill, Las Vegas View Journal, will join us as we discuss one of the more interesting teams in the National Football League and a team that uh, does happen to reside in this uh, city of ours. That would be Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders. At practice earlier today, training camp is officially underway for Las Vegas, so we'll get Adam's thoughts on the early returns from training camp for the Las Vegas Raiders. But let's focus elsewhere in the National Football League. So as we approach the season, which pretty much is here again, we're about just over a week away from the Hall of Fame game, which will feature the Raiders, by the way. So let's talk some win totals. I've got three win totals already up to this point that I have bet in the National Football League season that wanted to share with everybody, walk through some of the analysis on it, and see if anybody would disagree or agree. But regardless, I mean, we don't really take phone calls, so if you disagree, you can't say anything. Well, you can get me on Twitter, though, uh, at me, JVT. So let's talk about the first one here. So for anybody who watched The Edge last year, uh, humans and myself slugged our show as the most pro-Patriots show in America, even more so than the Boston area, you know, WEI, whatever. We loved the New England Patriots last year. 
Matt, a little bit more than me. I think he had a Super Bowl ticket on the Patriots to do so. I was very much bullish on over the win total, getting to the postseason, right? And remember, they went through that stretch in the middle of the regular season. I think it was seven consecutive weeks where they covered six out of seven, something like that. Rode that train. They were fantastic, right? But there are signs here of a little bit of a bounce back to the negative for the New England Patriots. And I think there is something in terms of value to be had here. You look at their win total, uh, their, we'll call it regular win total over at DraftKings, eight and a half shaded to the over ever so slightly at minus 115. The alternate win total of nine and a half shaded to the under minus 225. To make the playoffs, a small underdog at plus 160. Favored to miss the playoffs, a $2 price tag there. To win the AFC East, depending on where you shop, most of spots have them as the third choice behind the Dolphins at plus 500. To win the AFC 25 to 1, to win the Super Bowl at 50 to 1. So I mentioned a negative bounce, so I think you kind of understand where I'm going with this win total. Under 8.5 with the New England Patriots. And, and there's a lot to look at here. The first of which I think you start with this defense, because there are signs that this is going to take a really big step back here in 2022. For a reference, New England finished fourth in overall defensive DVOA last year, third against the pass, 10th against the run. They finished eighth in overall defensive grade by Pro Football Focus. However, corner position coming into this year is pretty poor on paper. J.C. Jackson departs for Los Angeles. Their depth chart is Jalen Mills and Malcolm Butler, who's coming out of retirement, so that's not really good. None of the corners on their current roster graded higher than 64.5 in PFF's pass coverage grade, so that's by one standard, but still, that matters for a team that's you know, known for running a bunch of cover one and man schemes, right? You want to have some pretty good corners that stand up. And right now, their corner depth chart does not look good in any way whatsoever. They weren't a great pass rushing team last season either. Keep that in mind. If you go through their pressures, right, their leading pressures or their leaders, uh, Matthew Judon and Christian Barmore at, at uh, edge rusher and defensive tackle respectively, 115 total pressures between the two of them. Great duo to have. However, after that, Kyle Van Noy was third, and he was, uh, what do you have, 29. And he's gone. He's not with the team anymore either. So you look at this defense overall, you start to evaluate it, you go, there's probably, there's probably a high probability here that they're going to get worse. Their third leading pass rusher, there was already a gap between them and their top two, is not there anymore. Cornerback seems to be a little bit of a mess. You're relying on a dude coming off of the couch. And again, Malcolm, Buck, Malcolm uh, Butler wasn't that long, but still not the best scheme to be in, especially when you're running a lot of man like Bill Belichick likes to do. So that's one knock against them. The other is, what's going to happen with this offense? And that's my biggest question. Mac Jones turned in a really solid rookie season. PFF graded 78.5, committed to turnover worthy play on only 2.6% uh, of his dropbacks. Touchdown interception ratio was fine for a rookie, 1.6. Uh, pretty poor under pressure, but I don't think you want to overreact to that. A lot of quarterbacks get poor under pressure. The numbers there, six yards per attempt, six touchdowns, four interceptions, six turnover worthy plays, kind of like all of them. But again, you go back to some of like what else this team is dealing with. Bill Belichick, just a couple of days ago, they named their coaching staff officially for the first time. No coordinator titles for anybody. Belichick's kind of getting cute with it, talking about, ah, you know what, we don't have to call plays now, so we don't need a coordinator right now. But who's calling this offense? Josh McDaniels was in charge of it, of course, last year. He's off in Las Vegas. Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, it seems that those are the top two assistants at this point right now. Will either one of them have a hand in calling this offense? Will it be Bill Belichick who is calling this offense, which is maybe rumored to, have, to happen here? That's something that I think is pretty important. Just given the fact that you look around at this offense, it doesn't really smack of dynamic skill position players. Wide receiver, for example, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, they have the rookie, I believe, out of Baylor, whose name escapes me right now, that they have on this roster that they're hoping will break out as wide receiver. But still, again, when you talk about what this offense looks like, there's a very real chance that they don't really budge from what they were last year, maybe get a little bit worse, specifically without the play calling of McDaniels. So that's pretty fascinating. And then you analyze this schedule for this team. 
potential for a really poor start to the season for the Patriots. Three of the first four weeks are on the road. They go at Miami, at Pitt, uh, and at Green Bay, Green Bay, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, with a home game against Baltimore sandwiched in there. So they're going to be underdogs in, in those road games. At the very least, three of them, that would be Packers, Dolphins, or excuse me, two of them. They're going to be underdogs at home, potentially, against the Ravens in week three. Then look at the rest of the schedule after that. I mean, you analyze it. Games against Detroit, Cleveland away, week six, Indianapolis. They're all losable games. Yes, the home game against Detroit is a losable game. Detroit is better this year. And New England's potentially worse. That's all before the bye. And then after the bye, when you evaluate their schedule, Minnesota, Arizona, Las Vegas, all road trips for them, all losable games with coin flip spots at best, two games against Buffalo post-bye, and a home game against Cincinnati, which all come after week 13. Do you look at that stretch in the right column? Bills, Cardinals, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills. That's a really tough stretch for a team that, again, at best, those are all coin flip spots. So you put all this together, to me, under for the New England Patriots. It's not a big far drop. It's only two fewer wins than they had last year, and I think that that is something that's going to happen. So under for eight and a half was one of them. The other, the New York Giants, I kind of like what the Giants got going on here. Over seven, you can get in some spots at a small plus price. The team made some improvements, both roster and staff, in the offseason. I think you really have to like it for the most part. They address the offensive line. They go and add Mark Lewinsky, Joe Feliciano, Max Garcia. It's kind of what Buffalo did, if you remember, and it actually makes sense because Brian Dable comes over from Buffalo. But when Buffalo had an issue with their offensive line, they just threw bodies at it. They, they went and signed a whole bunch of guys in an offseason, and well, they, they said, all right, whatever rises to the top, this is going to be our unit. And it worked out. Like Buffalo's offensive line is not one of the best in the National Football League, but it's far and away from the bottom of the National Football League. So they do that. Andrew Thomas emerges as a cornerstone, it seems. It's only one strong season, but we'll see. 2021 was really good for Andrew Thomas. In the draft, they knock it out of the park. They potentially go get another cornerstone in Evan Neal. They get Kayvon Thibodeau as well. They had a wide receiver in the second round, Wandale Robinson. And the, ho- the, the hire of Brian Dable is by far my favorite here because he was essential in the development of Josh Allen as a quarterback, and he has, <clears throat> I think, a track record being a very, very strong play caller for the Buffalo Bills, should do a really good job in maximizing Daniel Jones. And don't, don't do that thing where you're like, he's not, he's not Josh Allen. That's not what I'm saying. But Brian Dable can maximize what Daniel Jones is as a quarterback. And I think that's why you go and hire a guy like Brian Dable because there's two things for you here, right? He either maximizes everything with Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones comes out and looks like a quarterback of the future for you, or you go and get your quarterback of the future in the forthcoming draft, and he can then develop him, work with him as they move forward. I thought it was a great hire by them. Speaking of Daniel Jones, I think there are things to work with there, so that helps you out too. Uh, you know, when he's kept clean, for example, you look at some of the numbers, 70% completion, 7.3 yards per attempt, PFF passing grade of 75.2. He's got to be better under pressure, got to be able to hold on the ball in situations like that, but still, Dable should really help that with his offensive play calling. The defense has some pieces to build on too, and their schedule, one of the easier ones in the league. If you base your strength of schedule evaluation on win totals as opposed to strength of schedule of record from the season before, the Giants have the easiest schedule in the National Football League. They'll face the NFC North and AFC South. That gives them winnable games against like the lower-tier teams. Detroit, Chicago, Houston, Jacksonville. They lose a home game and they because they have to go to London to play Green Bay. But with Seattle and Carolina also on the schedule, the NFC East as a whole, they're all a bunch of teams that are kind of with one another outside of Dallas, and even there's a chance that Dallas is much closer to that division because it's just the NFC East and it's weird. But Washington, Philadelphia, the very least those are splits for the New York Giants. I really just like everything the Giants did in the offseason and the potential here for New York. So not only to go over their win total, depending, you can find some shops. Uh, I want a little closer to 3-1, to one, 
But in this NFC where you're talking about competing for a seventh seed and there's a lot of noise in that realm, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Giants in a potential playoff race here at the end of the season once it gets there. But over their win total of seven, I think, is a very viable option, especially at plus money there. And the last one was the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Going under their win total of 10, to me, I think we mentioned this last week, and I know one of our guests mentioned it on the edge, and I think it's a great way to put it. This number and this rating for the San Francisco Giants is all about Kyle Shanahan. If I gave you just this quarterback situation, and not to say that this roster is devoid of talent, but just gave you this team without Kyle Shanahan, don't think this win total would be set at 10. Trey Lance is a wild unknown at quarterback. We have three games, two starts. The sample size is not great, but the returns weren't great either from Trey Lance. And yes, Kyle Shanahan is an offensive whiz. He maximizes his offensive talent. They look great at times, and it doesn't matter who's playing any of these skill positions. They will be great. And their wide receivers, I love them at the top. Debo Samuel's awesome. Brandon Ayuk is awesome. But then after that, you talk about an offensive line that at times last year had some uh, problems with protection. I think you have some questions about the secondary overall for this team, too, and a really tough schedule on top of that. But all of it hinges on one guy, and that would be Trey Lance. And I just don't know if I buy it at this point, just from a rating standpoint. Would I be surprised if this team's 9-8 and eight, makes it to the postseason, but they get there at the back end of the schedule because they had to make a push? Absolutely not. But when you're talking about betting this team like 10 and over, some spots having them as the sixth best option to win the Super Bowl from an odds perspective, I just don't think this team is rated that high. At least for me, they're not. So three win totals there. I think I said Giants. I'm at 49ers under 10, uh, Giants over 7, and then, of course, Patriots under 8.5. Hey, let's talk a little more futures. Talk Offensive Rookie of the Year on the other side. Baseball predictions made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete for free all ca- for cash all season. Wow, I can get through that. In a weekly prediction pools to fight for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes, head to DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. Blue Moon made brighter. 21 and older only. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. All right, we're inching closer to the NFL season. Hall of Fame game, of course, coming up in about a week and a half. A college football rapidly approaching last weekend of August, too. So football season is here, folks. Do not be fooled. That's why we're getting ready for the football season, despite all the baseball going on and the fact that I accidentally called the San Francisco 49ers San Francisco Giants because baseball season is well underway. We're into the second half. Uh, but we will not waste time on baseball. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Let's talk about this. Uh, it's a very fun market. It's an intriguing market. And there are a lot of options, obviously, because there's a lot of rookies in the league. Um, and you can get lost sifting through every single one of the names I kind of was going through the first top 30 options on the list in terms of the odds that are provided out there by multiple uh, books. We have the numbers courtesy of DraftKings and the top options there. We'll run through some of the bigger options, too, in terms of the number themselves. But let's start at the top. We'll give you the top options, then we'll evaluate some of the choices. Kind of broke them down into different tiers. So first off, Kenny Pickett at 6-1. to one. Brees Hall running back for the New York Giants at plus 750. Traylon Burks, uh, wide receiver, Tennessee at 8-1, to one, as is Drake London, wide receiver for Atlanta. Christian Watson, wide receiver for Green Bay. Noticing a theme here as we go along. At 9-1, to one, Sky Moore, wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs at 10-1. to one, Garrett Wilson, I'll let you guess what position he plays. Wide receiver for the New York Jets. And then Chris, uh, excuse me, Kenneth Walker, 12-1, to one, running back for the Seattle Seahawks. And there's a bunch of other guys at 12-1. to one. Chris Olave, wide receiver for the, uh, the, um, the Saints. I almost went Pelicans. Uh, James Cook, running back for the Buffalo Bills. Those are your last options at about 12 to 1. So, broke these down in a little bit of a different fashion. First off, I went with my selections to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I've got two of them. They're both wide receivers, 
but there's a certain theme to the two wide receivers. So for me, it's two wide receivers, which are joining a wide receiver room that has a pretty new look to them, right? A lot of new faces uh, and a team in a wide receiver room that needs a little bit of an upgrade in talent or is just looking for some bodies, right? And as well, they have quarterbacks who can maximize those quarter those quarterback rooms, excuse me, those wide receiver rooms and the receivers that they're throwing to. So, for example, my two picks, Sky Moore, who at one point was about 14-1. to 1, That was at stations out here in Las Vegas, 10-1 to 1 over at DraftKings. And Christian Watson, wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, uh, pretty much unanimous around 9-1, to 1, we'll call the consensus number. But for more, let, let's focus on him first, right? Sky Moore is kind of the archetype of the player they lost in Tyreek Hill. I say kind of. On the surface, if I rip off the names, you're going to see 5'10", 185, 5'10", 195. Sky Moore beating out Tyreek Hill by about 10 pounds. Doesn't have the straight line speed that Hill does, but pretty much nobody does. But they'll be looking for him to fill that void that was left by the trade of Hill. He did have a hamstring in OTAs, a hamstring issue, and it was now being reported, as they reported to camp, the rookies did just a day or two ago. He's 100%. He's going to be ready to go once camp begins here for them. And if you look at the Chiefs wide receiver depth, they have more of the productive and known names, right? They have Juju Smith-Schuster. They have McCole Hardman. They have Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who at this point right now would probably be their speed threat. McCall Hartman has kind of been off to this weird lackluster start in terms of his career. I don't think there is a, it is a lock by any stretch that he keeps Sky Moore off the field. Moore, of course, is spending a relatively high pick on him there. He could push a guy like Hardman off the field for more snaps. And, of course, we talk about quarterbacks maximizing the position. Well, Patrick Mahomes is pretty good at maximizing position. And Sky Moore, with his ability, it, once Patrick Mahomes extends these plays like he does, the ability to find open space has some speed to him as well. I think Moore is in a pretty good position here to rack up some numbers on a contending team and contend for this award, especially when we're talking about what one point was 14 to 1 over at stations, 10 to 1 double digits, something worth investing in. The other, of course, is Watson. And I think the opportunity is even greater for Watson than it is of Moore's. He's already listed in multiple depth charts as the starter opposite Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins. Speaks to the need of receiver for Green Bay, by the way. Packers have arguably one of the thinner wide receiver rooms in terms of talent in the league, right? Then you look at some other stuff, right? Watson, an incredibly gifted wide receiver, sub 4-4 ERA, 6-foot-5 frame, exactly what Rodgers could use after losing Devontae Adams. And Rodgers, as we know, has a long history of making the wide receivers around him better with the opportunity with Watson in front of him could really be a big beneficiary and, of course, be in contention for Rookie of the Year. So with that, those are my two selections at the top of this board. They're not crazy deep, 9-1 to for Watson, 10-1 to for Sky Moore. The other way I broke this down was looking at it from the quarterback's perspective. Because Kenny Pickett, the favorite to win this thing, you kind of get it, and then you don't get it, is the way that I put it. So if you look at the depth chart, for example, pretty crowded with, we'll call them NFL veterans, because they are. We have Mitchell Trubisky. We have Mason Rudolph. And with a team that believes they have a playoff window, which is what I believe the Steelers think they are, you're not really going to turn to a rookie that has to wear gloves because his hands are so tiny immediately. And this is, how about this? This is from one columnist out in Pittsburgh. This is a pretty interesting clip here from his article just a couple of days ago. So Mark Madden, TribLive.com. Quote, the so-called quarterback competition at training camp is a sham. The season will begin with Pickett as the third-string quarterback. He will be inactive on game days. You read that correctly. Mason Rudolph will be the number two. If Mitchell Trubisky gets injured, Rudolph plays. Rudolph knows the system. Trubisky's still learning it, but he's a veteran. That's just one person out there in Pittsburgh who covers the team's opinion, but still, it speaks to at least something that I thought when it came to Kenny Pickett, which is why I don't believe he should be the favorite. Again, he's a quarterback. He was the first-round selection. You understand it, but you also don't understand it. Also, 
Madden gave him an overall of 68, so I feel like we can just knock him off the list right away. So you also look at the other quarterbacks too, by the way. Matt Corral, for example. Kind of surprised that Corral's odds didn't get knocked a bit more with the addition of Mayfield. Darnold's going to be in front of Corral as well. He could see times as an emergency do it at best Corral could. But if he's seeing the field too, it's not going to be the best position. They're going to go through Mayfield. They're going to go through Donald before they give Corral a shot by all indications. And that offensive line better be better. We'll get some more about the Carolina Panthers as we look at the NFC South coming up in the second hour. And the other names, Howell, Strong, similar situations. Not going to sniff the field in 2022. Not worth it. The only viable quarterbacks to me, if you were going to play a quarterback in the rookie of the year market, it's Ritter or it's Willis. Desmond Ritter, of course, as we know, is with the Falcons. They could pull the plug on Mariota. I'm not sure if the Falcons really see him as a potential guy going forward or just a Scott Bapping till Ritter is available. But as you get a little bit later in the season, you could probably see Ritter as it goes along. Now, their bye week is week 14. Doesn't really help. Generally, you like to see sometimes, right, that cliche of having a bye week to get your quarterback ready, your rookie quarterback, and then get him set. If that's the case, and they wait until then, and Mariota's healthy that whole time, you're talking about just weeks 15, 16, 17, and 18 to rack up numbers for rookie of the year. That's not going to happen for Ritter. So not really loving that. But look at Malik Willis, and this is where it gets interesting. Tannehill has gotten worse each of the three seasons he has been with the Tennessee Titans uh, from that really great first year. Had a problem with turnover-worthy plays in 2021. He committed 15 turnover-worthy plays in his last eight starts. Titans have a bye in week seven before they play the Indianapolis Colts. Could give them an opportunity to prepare Willis if they're off to a pretty poor start to the year, again, depending on how it looks. But just like in the draft, when we were looking at the first round and we thought, you know, none of these quarterbacks really seem like a first-round selection that's kind of worth it at this point. I think it's the same thing for Rookie of the Year. You know, none of these quarterbacks really seem worth a bet when it comes to Rookie of the Year. Other candidates that are worth keeping in mind, Chris Olave, 12-1 to to win this, wide receiver for the New Orleans uh, Saints. Michael Thomas, it kind of goes under the radar because it's just pup list stuff, but still, Michael Thomas, named to the pup list the other day. You have to wonder how healthy is he. Remember, Thomas hasn't played football since 2020 at the end of that season. It has been a very long time since we have seen Michael Thomas. Jarvis Landry, this wide receiver room for New Orleans kind of needs it, but there's Landry there, and that's about it. So I think if you look at it, Olave's probably a pretty viable candidate to win this thing. I think a lot of people would look at it and go, yeah, well, Jameis Winston's there. Well, here's the thing. If Jameis Winston, let's say that you are not of the ilk like me, where I believe that Jameis Winston's actually a serviceable quarterback in this league, and you think that Jameis Winston is a turnover machine, and we all remember the 30-30 and 30 season. Well, remember, he threw for, I think, almost 5,000 yards in that season, 33 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Interceptions don't count against Olave. Winston's going to be slinging it either way. And so Olave could be the beneficiary of like, to, could benefit from that, rack up some numbers, and be a really viable candidate to win this thing. So I think Olave would be up there. How about Rashad White, running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Leonard Fournette shows up 260 pounds reportedly. He's already named on the depth chart as the second best running back. He's 30 to 1 to win this thing. There's some regional hype around White. If you read some of the reports coming out of uh, Tampa Bay, that a, a lot of people like this kid. The athleticism could really help. I, you know, I was thinking about this. Tom Brady kind of likes running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield and have some athleticism, doesn't he? Well, if White starts to show multiple facets to his game, he's already listed as second in the depth chart, and a guy ahead of him showed up to camp almost 30, 40 pounds overweight. Or he might be strong, but still, right? The path for White at 30-1 to 1 to win this award is extremely clear to do so. The other name that's also worth mentioning out of all this, and again, it's another wide receiver, Alec Pierce, wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. Colts have a need at wide receiver. Michael Pittman's their number one guy, but outside of that, there are questions about with every single wide receiver on this roster and how good they will be. 
Pierce could be a guy that breaks out, all of a sudden finds himself as the third option for the Indianapolis Colts, a team that is vying for a playoff spot, a division title, and has an upgraded quarterback in Matt Ryan. Another name that is worth looking at there, but Pierce very much so, and you can find him in the range of 30-1. to So there's, there's a ton of options for Rookie of the Year. I would say that if you're making this market, obviously wide receiver is favored to win this. We're talking about a position. There's a lot of wide receivers who have really good candidacies for this, but I would look out for White, man, and that running back out in Tampa Bay. There's an interesting path there for him to win this thing for the Buccaneers. Take our break here. On the other side, Adam Hill, Las Vegas Review Journal is going to join us. Raiders broke camp the other, or open camp the other day. Let's find out what's been going on the first few days with Adam. Last door. This is the Football Betting Guy with Jonathan Von Tobel. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome back. Hey, 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 guess what? College football guide is out now, and the pro football guide is coming soon. No better way to prepare for the college pro football seasons. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats, power ratings, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. Reserve your copy of the football betting guides today. Get access to everything we offer for the entire football season with a VEASAN all-access subscription. Make this football season your best ever. Subscribe now at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. We roll on here. We welcome in Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He was out watching the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, one of the first teams to open camp, of course. And actually, Adam, they were uh, the first, right, along with one other team who reported, I think, was it Monday or Tuesday? Yeah, they were the first, and uh, Jacksonville had the option to open up around the same time because uh, playing in the Hall of Fame game, you get that option. Jacksonville decided not to. Uh, the Raiders did. Uh, both teams have new coaches, but the Raiders kind of felt that they wanted to get stuttered a little sooner. So uh, they were out there, and uh, nobody else was. And actually, it's funny. The players kind of noticed that because Devontae Adams today, I was talking to him about um, some of the comments that, that kind of blew up the other day on social media uh, where he referred to Derek Carr as a Hall of Famer. And he was kind of saying, well, that's not really what happened. I kind of misplaced a word here and there. Uh, and then he went on to point out very accurately, he said, you know, we're the only team that was in camp. Nobody else was practicing. So those kind of things get blown, blown out of proportion, which I think is absolutely true. Yep. So we have a lot to go over with the Raiders, and they're an intriguing team. Uh, splashy offseason, I think, is the best word to, to use. Uh, Devontae Adams at the top of the list of acquisitions that they make. So would it surprise you that ESPN, I think it's Bill Barnwell who came up, you know, ranking the off-seasons for a lot of these teams, actually rated the Vegas Raiders 28th in terms of effective off-seasons 
Uh, and, you know, he, you mentioned the obvious things, right? McDaniels, Devontae Adams. But when he talks about what's wrong with the offseason, he actually goes back to Adams and Chandler Jones as the acquisitions, noting their aging curve and uh, the acquisitions given up for Adams and that it doesn't really match up here. What do you overall, as we kind of look at this season coming up for the Raiders, which is going to get started in just over a week at the Hall of Fame game, what do you make of this offseason and how much they have been vaulted up the boards here a little bit when it comes to some offseason numbers? Cars, future numbers are pretty high when it comes to passing yards and passing touchdowns. We know about Adams as well. Is 28th too low in terms of effective and positive offseasons for the Las Vegas Raiders? You know, it's really interesting. It's how you look at it, right? And I think he's kind of getting at the same thing here that I, that I would be getting at. I would. It's two different scores that you would give. Yep. Me, personally... I would give a very low score only because my mission for the Raiders and where they stood and where the division stands and everything else would have been to go the opposite direction. I would have tried to acquire assets. I would have tried to acquire draft picks. I would have tried to build young and build for two or three years down the road when the salary cap is going to start to catch up to the Chargers and the Chiefs and the Broncos and these other teams. That's where I would have done. I would have said, okay, this is a perfect time to get out of the contract of Derek Carr, even though he's a very good quarterback, he might not be elite level. Uh, I would have kind of gone the other direction, new coaching staff, good time to try to rebuild. So that would have been my objective. So from my perspective, the offseason score would have been very low because of that. But if you're going to score them solely as did they have a good offseason in terms of being a better team right now than they were last year? Yeah, they absolutely did. I don't think there's any question. The question is, did they get good enough? to go to that next level, or should they have started the rebuild sooner? I think that's the debate that you have to have. But if you just score it on, did they get better from the end of last year to the beginning of this year? I think they absolutely did. There's, there's almost no question in my mind. They bolstered that receiving core, of course, with Devontae Adams. That makes Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller that much more effective, and I think even potentially Foster Moreau. And as we can get into it, I really, really like some of their options as the third and fourth receivers on this team. I think they have a really deep, deep class there. They've got a ton of talent and options in the backfield, starting with Jacobs and Drake. Uh, Brandon Bolden, we know what he's done a little bit as a you know a specialist kind of back. They added Zamir White in the draft. I think he can be really talented as well. The skill positions on offense are just elite. Now you have to get the offensive line to step up. They didn't really do that much to address that area. Uh, the interior, the defensive line, not that great either, but the pass rush is special. Uh, and then the secondary is a little bit weak, but the pass rush should cover for that. So, I, I think they're a good team. I think they're a better team than they were last year when they made the playoffs. Uh, but I don't necessarily know that's the direction I would have taken. So when you see all of the names for this offense, and you mentioned some of the depth that they had, they went and you know, pilfered some guys in terms of wide receivers off of other rosters to add to the depth. And it's pretty interesting to see who's going to start opposite Devontae Adams, right? We get like Hunter Renfro and all that, but we have some intriguing spots on this roster in terms of wide receiver not named Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams. What's the offensive philosophy of this team? Because you mentioned the offensive line. Doesn't really look great on paper. Their run-blocking numbers, whether it's PFF, whether it's football outsiders, were not very good. Don't know if they're going to be a dominant running attack, and Gruden tried to do that in years past. What, what is the fingerprint of this offense under McDaniels? Is it like spread them out, dynamic passing attack, or does it still look like a little bit more conservative, set it up with your run game type look? I mean, I think it's going to be, it's going to be game plan specific. That's kind of how they've talked about it. We've yeah. seen that in New England, right? I mean, look at how New England has deployed their running backs. And I, I say New England, obviously, for those uh, that if you're listening to this, Josh McDaniels has been the coordinator there. We know kind of what he's done in New England. But we also know that a lot of that time in New England, he had a guy named Tom Brady. So that kind of does change a little bit of what your philosophy is. I mean, I think it's, it's getting you know, the ball in the hands of your playmakers, which is what everyone wants to do. But he's fairly good at that. Uh, when they've had multiple really good tight ends, 
they've used them. When they've had you know multiple good running backs, they've used them. They haven't had a whole lot of elite wide receivers, but we did see what they had when they had a Randy Moss-type player. They were able to really get explosive and dynamic with him as well. So I think McDaniel's really good at just figuring out matchups and getting the ball to the right guy, and they're going to have so many weapons at their disposal to do so. Uh, the question on the offensive side really is, I think it begins and ends with that offensive line. As you said, I mean, they're going to have to block and block at a better level than they did last year in order to do what they want to do. But, man, if, if given time and given you know, lanes in the run, like, there's so many guys that can make plays with the ball in their hands, they're going to be just fine on offense. And I think even borderline dynamic offensively if they can block anybody. But that's a huge question. And right now we just don't know. I mean, it's four days into training camp. They haven't even been allowed to put on pads yet. Uh, the way the training camp schedule goes, I think it's practice six that you're allowed to start putting pads on, and they've had four practices. So, you know, we can see that they're moving well on the offensive line, but what does that mean if they're not hitting anybody? Yep. All right, you mentioned one of the weaknesses for this team, interior defensive line. Uh, there have been rumors and names abound with who they might add, and Dominican Sue's been out there. Uh, any additions coming for this interior of the defensive line, and how big of a weakness is this for them? Well, it's, it's interesting. So I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of people might have going into camp. Um, they've got, they had a lot of bodies and I, I think it's one of those positions where, Hey, you stockpile six or seven bodies. You added a couple of guys in the draft as well. And you're going to be able to figure out that position because really in this defense, what they want the, the middle of the line to do. Yeah, sure. win your matchups, but really just clog up space and allow everybody else to kind of operate uh, around them and behind them. Uh, and you looked around and you said, okay, they've got some good depth. They've got some good guys that might step up. And then you've got guys in Jonathan Hankins, Bilal Nichols, who have, who've played at a pretty high level, um, at least comparatively uh, in the past. And so you, you come into camp saying, okay, this is going to be good. But then as you enter camp, Jonathan Hankins goes to the pup list. Bilal Nichols goes to the pup list. Now all of a sudden that depth is not very good. It's not a strength of this unit. And you're asking guys that you thought were going to be good depth pieces to potentially be starters if those guys aren't back anytime soon, which there's no real indication that, that they might not be back. But certainly it's a concern that they're not on the practice field right now. So, uh, I, I do think they're going to need to address that area. And uh, one of the things, if you're looking at this team and trying to handicap where they're going to be, you mentioned potentially sign, signing in Dominican Sue. Well, this, this is a team, I believe, the second most amount of cap space right now at $22 million. So they have the flexibility to address some of those things. Now, I think they're going to use some of that cap space to probably extend Darren Waller, which is, uh, it should be a priority. I mean, he deserves a new contract. He's, I believe, the 17th highest paid tight end, and there's no way he's the 17th best tight end in the league. So, extend that deal, which there's two years left, but um, reward him for what he's done and, and lock him in long-term. Maybe use a little bit of cash space for that, but uh, they've got that flexibility. So they can go add some pieces as they practice a little bit more. I think, you know, corner might be an area that they address and that, that middle of the defensive line, certainly an area of concern. All right. Last 90 seconds with you. Win total is seven and a half over minus 250 plus 160 to make the postseason. season. Uh, you go any direction with those numbers that you feel with the Raiders in this coming season. Wait, it's seven and a half now? Uh, this is DraftKings, seven and a half over minus 250, okay. yeah. Oh, over minus 250, yeah, that makes a lot of sense yeah. to, uh, to juice the over there. I mean, I've seen a lot of eight and a half. Uh, I, I'd be interested in going over the seven and a half. Look, I think this is a team that is better than they were last year. They won 10 games and went to the playoffs. The question is the schedule. I mean, we mentioned a couple of the questions on the depth chart, but the schedule is brutal. The Chiefs have one of the toughest schedules I've ever seen in the NFL. But the Raiders are not that far behind. It's not quite as good, but it's a really tough schedule. So I think the team is dramatically improved. I don't think they can win the same amount of games because the schedule is tough, but they're going to be a better team on the field. So the over 7.5, I'd be willing to lay a little bit of juice. 
I might even be, be able to be talked into the over eight and a half, but they're going to be right there on the eight, nine win range uh, because that schedule is going to be what holds them back. And I, I just think, you know, as much optimism as there is, and as much as I think the team is much better than they were when the season ended last year, uh, it's going to be tough to navigate those waters. Yeah, correction on my part, too, by the way. I was looking at the alternate low for them. You're right. The actual regular okay. season win total was uh, eight and a half, shaded to the over at minus 120. Adam Hill, Las Vegas yeah. Journal, covers the Las Vegas Raiders. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Of course, anytime. Adam Hill, LVRJ, up on Twitter. All right, second hour of the program. Uh, we get into one more conference. It's a conference I got to cover as part of our College of Football Betting Guide, which is out right now. Mountain West, and there are some pretty valuable little pieces of betting in the Mountain West. We'll discuss when we come back. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.